morning with a bit of a, a bit of a stiff neck. So maybe while Monique's taking a picture of that thing with her cell phone there, Clint, just let's just all stretch our necks. Ask your neck to turn your head. Just say neck, turn my head. No, let's all stretch. It's quite lacquer. Helps me. Just put put it back. Stretch your neck. No, but this is, you see where this is going. There's a message behind this, but in my standard grade brain, I've got a thought here. But yeah, how's, just stretch your neck. Just give it a go there. Hey, Lindsay, I'll check you there, but nice to see you. You and your family running around with the kids. How's that neck there, but? You right? The sunglasses pulling your neck down there on your shirt there, my butt. Reminds me of, as I stretch my neck, one of my teachers at Benoni High. History, my goodness. Who took history at school? D- did you, but? Uh, Colin, you took Yeah, keep your hand up, but a guy like you would definitely take history. Keep your hand up. Who took history all the way to matric? There we go. A couple of us, Nadine, you. Yeah, there, but your wife's a teacher. You took history to matric. I also took history to matric. I'll raise my hand. I'm proud of that. I won't tell you what I got, but I took it to matric, but. And, and one of the reasons that I took history to matric and that I managed to pass, barely, was because of, of a teacher that I had in matric. He used to come to Benoni High in 93 in his red Volkswagen with his nice red mustache, looks somewhat like Prince Harry. And he, but, but he taught history to, to me in the class of 93 in such an incredible way that, that I no longer found it boring. There's a feedback here, but I no longer found, found history boring. I actually started to fall in love with history, and it, it became an incredible subject to me because of the way he taught it. And so I pray today that whether you're visiting for the first time, you're about to get on a plane to go to Port Elizabeth, or you may be staying from Canada, or you may be uh, going to Nice now, I pray today that through the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says he's the teacher, not me. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. I pray today that through the power of the Holy Spirit, He would teach us a little bit of the history that we're going to uncover today in this book. Thanks, but you can switch that thing. Well, it might be it. So the the history lesson that we're about to unpack together today, we're going to talk a little bit about history from the Bible. Can I ask somebody to pray that through the power of the gospel today, that the Holy Spirit would make this history lesson come alive to us. Yeah. Who's a history teacher? Who, who? You're a history teacher. I thought so. But I know you're a teacher, but come here, Connie. Would you, would you pray, but this is, a, this is an incredible man. He's got a wonderful heart. He, he, lectures, he lectured years ago. He lectured pastors on how to t- preach from the Bible. And I pray today, Connie, that your prayer, that you pray from your heart, that God would use it as we unpack this history lesson. It can't be boring, but people say, oh, the Bible's boring. The Bible's not boring. History in the Bible, it's exciting. Let's close our eyes. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you are the one who changed history. You At the right time, as Foxy said, timing is important. But at the right time, you stepped into time 
and changed time forever. And every day when we write a date, and I remind the kids every day, Lord, you know, when we write the date, it's so many years after Christ changed the world. Before Christ and after Christ, things were never the same again. And Lord, as you step into people's lives today, I pray, Lord, that you will make that difference. That this will be a day of history, that you will make history in people's lives today, Lord. And as you step in, <laughs> that things will never be the same again. That what is in the past is in the past, Lord. You never came and asked what happened to you when you came to heal the sick, to, to heal the blind. You, you didn't care about their history. But you said from now on, take up your bed and walk. From now on, see. From now on, walk. From now on. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that chains will break today. That the thing of the past will fall away. And that you, as you always do, give us a bright future from now on. I pray that in the name of Jesus. And I thank you. Amen. Shot my boy, that was a proper prayer. That was a Benoni proper prayer. So, so this morning we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. Thank you, Gareth. I love that slide. To be continued. Dot, 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 dot. Because just like the Holy Spirit started the church of Jesus in the book of Acts, we are praying and trusting that he too is going to continue to build his church the way he wants to here in this school hall. So that's why we're going through this series in the book of Acts together. I'd love you to turn to Acts chapter 7 with me in your Bible or on your smartphone or yes, Jay, you're right. You, uh, you can check that. Um. So, so guys, can we, just, can we just celebrate quickly? There's a, there's a ring on this finger here. See that thing? The Bible says you must rejoice for those who rejoice. And so, in God's timing, He never takes His eyes off of you as you trust and as you desire His plans for your life. And so we're excited with you there, Jay and Craig. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 7. Turn with me there. Remember now, let me just quickly recap here. The church is mad. The church is upset. The church is grumbling and moaning because the Greek-speaking widows are not being treated as equally and fairly as the Hebrew-speaking widows when it comes to food, when it comes to the food parcels that they're sending to the widows. Oaks are moaning. And so the disciples tune, okay, we'll choose seven men who are going to now handle this food project for the widows because obviously things are not going well. We need to make sure things are happening. So they choose seven men. One of those oaks is a guy by the name of Stephen. He's a waiter. He serves food at tables. But this oak was full with the power of the Holy Spirit. He was full of God's grace, the Bible says in Acts 6. He was full of God's power. He was full of God's glory. He was full of good works. And he was full of God's glory. And this oak is being totally ticking off the religious leaders. It's another word for upsetting the religious leaders. He's ticking them off. They cross with this oak. Friends, I want to say to you today, if you decide... To live a life full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's power, full of goods, good works, full of God's glory, full of God's wisdom. If you decide to live a life like that, you're going to tick people off. Even people in the church. I want to say that today. People in the church may be offended, may be upset, cross. When you live a life full 
of the Holy Spirit and full of His power. And so these religious leaders are fuming mad at Stevie. They're not liking the fact that he's turning the city upside down for Jesus. And so they start spreading false rumors about him. They're not happy. What are we going to do to actually get rid of this oak? So they start spreading false rumors. They tune the oaks. Hey, Chris, just make this story up about him. Matt, make this lie up about Stephen. Tell the people that he's actually speaking badly about the church. And he's speaking badly about the laws. And he's speaking badly about Moses. And so this is what they accuse him with. they false allegations, of course. But they're just trying to get him into a corner here. And so this is where he starts his sermon. He preaches one sermon. He gets a chance, just does one sermon. Gets recorded in the Bible. It's powerful. And he starts off here. Well, they first ask him here in Acts 7. They say, are these charges true, Stevie? I mean, of course they know they're not true, but they're just trying to get the oak in a corner. Are they true? Are they true what you're saying? And this is how he responds. It's beautiful. He says, brothers and fathers, Listen to me. I don't know what tone of voice he used. Brothers, fathers. I think there's a softness. I think there's a humbleness. He spoke about that. It's a humbleness within this man, Stephen. He says, listen to me. Listen, guys. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Say God of glory. Lacquer. He wants to start his sermon right in the beginning by talking about the God of glory. And he ends right at the end by speaking about the glory of God. Have you ever thought for a moment, Corpus, what's the God of glory? What is the glory of God all about? I mean, for a clever oak like him, yeah, he'll know. But for me, I was like, what is, what is that? 93, Ross Carter, Brani but we stand a great. What's the glory of God all about? It's a great question to ask. Even Moses, he asked God that question. Keep your finger there in Acts 7. Go to Exodus 34. We're going to read from Exodus 34 about how God shows Moses what his glory actually is all about. Because we need to find out what God's glory is all about. Let's have a look there. In Exodus 34, God says to Moses, uh, Moses says to God, I want to see your glory, God. Show me what's, what's your glory all about. God says, okay, I'm going to hide you in the side of this mountain, in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you my glory. You're not allowed to see me. And so this is what he says in verse 6. God passed by in front of Moses, and he says, The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate and slow to anger God, who abounds in love, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, Rebellion and sin. That's God's answer to the question. Show me your glory. This is him saying, my glory is my name. It's my character. It's who I am. That's God's glory. And so if we go back to Acts chapter 7, Stephen's preaching. He's focusing now on the glory of God right in the beginning. And he ends his preach with the God of glory. And in between this, he's wanting us to understand what he's discovered about God's glory. Put that slide up for us, G. You got it there, but Nah, not that one about uh, God. There, that's proper. That's what we're talking about today. Glor- glory of God, the fact that He is gracious, the fact that He's a God of promise, and the fact today that He's a God of love. Those are the three words, gracious, promise, love, that we're going to highlight of God's character this morning. So, so we're going to try and understand today, He's gracious, 
He's fulfilling in His promises, and He's a God of love. Okay, let's read together Acts 7. You got your finger there, verse 2, Troy. Got it there, but Stephen's saying that the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Why the heck is Stephen going all the way back to Abraham? Why is he taking these clever religious oaks all the way back to that? You know why? Because they were just focusing on Moses. They were just focusing on the law. They were just focusing on the temple. They were just focusing on what we got to do. Got to go to church. Got to fulfill the law. They're just focusing on that. And, 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 and Stephen's taking them way before that. You see, I think they knew that the gospel started with Abraham, but they didn't focus on that. They're focusing on Moses and the law and what we've got to do and what we mustn't do. I wonder where your focus is today, ma'am. I wonder what you're focusing on right now. Church. Hello. Oh, I haven't done that this week. Oh, I've got to better do that this week. I wonder what you're focusing on. He's taking them back to where God first appears to Abraham in Mesopotamia. Guess what? He was a pagan atheist man. I didn't know that. I thought Abraham was a, a good act, you know, like man of God. Uh-uh. Abraham has God appear to him where he's staying in a place where they worshipped the moon. He's a moon worshipper for goodness sakes. God appears to Abraham in a godless culture. You've got to catch this, friends. You've got to understand. God didn't appear to Abraham only after Abraham showed some form of godliness. Then God appears to him. So, okay, Abraham, go to church for a month and tick the box. Yeah, then I'll appear to you. Before any of that happened, he appears to Abraham. So God didn't, his grace didn't come upon someone obeying the Mosaic law, someone doing the right things. God didn't come upon somebody who was in the temple. God's grace didn't come upon a Jewish nationality even. The grace of God came upon this pagan, atheist man who worshipped the moon. He wanted nothing to do with God. It's incredible, eh? And he wants to show these religious oaks that their works, what they do, how they're trying to obey the law. It's nothing. He's trying to get these guys to understand that God is the one that does all the work. Their phrases in Stephen's preach like, God did this, then God said this, then God did that, then God promised Abraham. He did nothing, he did absolutely nothing. It's exactly the same for us, friends. God chases you. God pursues you. God goes after you. It's exactly the same for us. Our works are nothing, man. The Bible says that our works are actually like filthy rags. Yesterday, we had a couple of oaks cleaning these chairs for, the, for church. It's like this filthy rag. That's what your works actually are, guys. That's what the Bible says. It's only because of God's grace that we're able to stand righteous before God. Let's keep reading. Then God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after birth. We've got to understand, friends, this covenant that God has between him and Abraham, it's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. And, and baptism, we've preached about this. That's what symbolizes the circumcision, the setting apart. I'm done. I've cut off that old sinful way. 
That, that's what it symbolizes. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. It's a high-grade word for me. It's the 12 names of Jacob's 12 sons that he had. By the way, Benoni is in the Bible. Benoni was there, one of Jacob's sons, a.k.a. Benjamin. You can go and read it in Genesis. God wants his message, friends. God wants his message of grace to be passed on from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Benoni, me, you, your kids at Freedom, their kids, your great-great-grandchildren. That's the message that God wants to pass on from generation to generation, whether you're in Benoni or Nasna or Canada. Message of grace. And we don't deserve it. God says, I'll come to you. We don't deserve it. I was sitting Monday morning, half past seven this past week at a wimpy preparing this message. It took me a heck of a lot of time this week, I'll tell you what. And I was sitting there preparing, reading my Bible. I see an elderly lady walking into the wimpy. She orders a cup of coffee. And I check another man in the back there. He whispers to the waiter, I'll pay. I check this one. Was he grafting? So the waiter goes to the lady. She wants the bill. No, ma'am. That man there. I'm smiling. I check her. He's not, he pretends he's not. She walks up to that man. She says, what have I done to deserve you paying for my coffee? And he looks at her. He says, absolutely nothing. That's the message that God is wanting us to understand today, friend. We do not deserve God's grace. We don't have to do anything. Beautiful, eh? He's trying to tell us that, he, that God so desperately wants a relationship with us, but it's got nothing to do with our efforts. It's got nothing to do. It's the grace of God. And all you've got to do is just do what Abraham did. You've got to believe God's promises. Because when you believe God's promises and you trust in the name of Jesus, you can stand in a relationship with him. Freedom Church, I ask you today, have you lost the message of God's grace? Because these oaks, they've lost the message of God's grace. Just like us, they go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They get up and make their wife a cappuccino and get the kids ready and go to church Sunday after Sunday. I think it's so easy for us to lose the message of God's grace. They just didn't get it. And you're probably getting ticked off with me now saying, I get it, but... And you're falling asleep saying, this is boring here because I've got God's grace. I've understood God's grace. I'm a Christian. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've got it. Okay. All right. Then ask your neck to turn your head to the person sitting next to you. Ask it. There we go. T turn to the person next to you there, Casey. Yeah. You might be looking at, Connie, look, look at your wife. Don't look at me, guys. Look, look, look at the person next to you. Oh, look at you. There we go. Ron's looking. You may be looking at your spouse. And I ask you today, as you look at your wife or your husband or the person next to you, look at them. Do you extend the same grace that God extends to you to your spouse? And you're saying, no, I don't do that. You know why? Because she must say sorry to me, and then I will extend God's grace to her. 
Yeah, we laugh because it's true. Billy, you know the story, but... You know what the trouble is? You've just told me that you know and living in God's grace. God says, extend that same grace that I extend you to someone. God didn't wait for you to say, sorry, but... And then he, extend, he extended grace to you before, way before you said sorry. Ah, but I know God's grace. Are you living it? Are you showing it to your wife there? Keep looking. Ask your neck. Turn the head. Keep looking to the person next to you. Maybe it's a stranger, right? But you've heard, you've heard, you've heard about this stranger at freedom. You're like, I heard they made this decision. It's like, geez, I would never have made that decision. Those like, so extending the same grace that God extends to you to that stranger, or are you holding on to your opinion? It actually doesn't matter anyway. Yeah? Oh, I know God's grace. Are you living? Are you showing that stranger? I want to be part of a church in this school hall that extends grace to strangers. To people who actually, I'm like, yes, I wouldn't have done that. But you know what? Grace. Grace. Be part of a church with me like that. I'm not cross. I'm just passionate about it. Stephen's preaching about Joseph. He moves on to Joseph now. So he's chatted a little bit about Abraham. Now he's going to Joseph. Verse 9. He says, but God was with Joseph. Joseph's in Egypt. Egypt represents a place of darkness. A place of oppression. Captivity. Being bound in Egypt. It says there, but God was with Joseph. Verse 10. God rescued Joseph from all his troubles. He gave Joseph, wisdom. He didn't say to Joseph, my butt, if you can just get yourself out of Egypt, if you can just come out of that and come to the promised land, come back to where I am, then I'll help you out. But he didn't do that. And you see that he rescued Joseph. He went to Egypt. He went to that place where Joseph was in Egypt. God went there to that place of darkness and oppression. Where Joseph was. I spoke to a man this week. I don't know if he's here. He says, you know, I went the long way around finding my relationship with Jesus. He, he said, I explored many different religions. He says, I explored Buddhism. He says, I explored Scientology. Clever oak. He's a high grade oak. He, he says, and, and, and then I came the long way around because I wanted to find out all. And I thought, wow. In that time, of him exploring different religions and finding out a little bit more about God. God was there with him. He was waiting to have an encounter with this man. All through that. Number one today, guys, God is a God of grace. His grace is unlimited. We've said that before. Wherever you are, whether you're worshiping the moon, whether you find yourself in a place of darkness and oppression, caught up in an addiction or something, His grace for you is unlimited. Whether you're enslaved in bondage or in darkness in Egypt, He will come to you right there in your imperfection. Number two, He's a God of promise. Jump back to verse five. It says there, God gave Abraham no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. 
But God promised Abraham that him and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. This verse popped out in front of my eyeballs this week, friends. I didn't understand this. Do you know that Abraham inherited no land? He had, he had not one foot of ground that, that belonged to him. I mean, for goodness sakes, his wife Sarah dies. He doesn't even have one foot of ground that he can bury his wife Sarah in. He's got to go and buy a plot of land because he doesn't have any land of his own. So what's this promise about giving Abraham, giving, what's this I'm talking about now? Giving? I've lost my plot here. Yeah, Abraham. I'm talking about Abraham. God's promised Abraham he'd inherit land. His wife dies, he doesn't have land. What's it all about? Friends, this is telling us here that there's two promises in the Bible. Number one, God gave Abraham identity. He was Abram, remember? And God says, no, now you will be called Abraham, father of many sons. So the first promise that God gives Abraham is a new identity. He says, you will now be called Abraham. You are now mine. You belong to me and I am yours. He has this new relationship in God, new identity, first promise. Second promise, inheritance, land. Yeah, we want that, eh? I want a house, man. I want, car. I want, I want a bank. I want an inheritance. I'm a Christian. This is where the world is going wrong. This is where Christians are hearing about another gospel being preached, the prosperity gospel. Friends, that is a false gospel. In fact, it isn't even a gospel because we give our lives to Jesus and now we say, lack of my life's power now. I'm going to get what, uh, what's this inheritance all about, God? It's an eternal inheritance. It's not something here on earth. It's not earthly riches. The Bible doesn't promise us earthly riches. It doesn't promise us now because we Christians, we got a cushy life here in Benoni. No, it doesn't promise us that. That's the prosperity gospel. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we make a decision to live a life as Christ's one. So we get a new identity. And the second promise is an eternal inheritance. We've got to be looking ahead, guys. It's so hard, eh? I mean, we look here now, stage five, load shedding. We have a pre six. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we, we, we're looking here. And are we looking forward? Are we? It's hard, eh? Eskim and are we looking forward? As Christians, where's our focus? You know what I found this verse in Hebrews 11? It says, Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundation whose architect and builder was God. Oh, my goodness. And I'm not saying we can't plan and build a house and have a desire to have a car. I'm not saying we can't do that. We can. But are we looking ahead to a city whose architect and builder is God? That's the perspective that he's trying to get these oaks to understand. Live with an eternal perspective here. He's trying to get them to, to grasp that. The first promise, God gives us new identity. A Christian, I'm his, I'm saved. Second promise, eternal life, an eternal inheritance. It's actually got nothing to do with this life here. St Stephen's preach shows us God's a God of grace. He'll come to you. 
unlimited. He'll come again, and he'll come again. Number two, he's a, he's a God of promise. And then Stephen gets to his third point here, speaking about the God of love. He's getting on to Moses. And now, now he's got the attention. He speaks about Moses in verse 22. Check what he says. Bit of text to read here. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Remember, he grew up in the palace, eh? When Moses was 40 years old, so he's been in the palace since a little baby. When they found him in the reeds, he's grown up in the Egyptian palace. He's grown up there now. He thinks I'm the man. Prince Charles, you know, he's the guy now. I'm arrived. And when I, when, I, when, I, when I need to sign the documents, I'll ask my slave for the date because I get that wrong. And then I'm, all the stuff, just get the slave, move the stuff off the table. And you watch that because now I'm signing. So where's the humility there, bud? Oh, goodness. So, so Moses is the man. I'm a somebody. I've grown up in the palace. Now I've got a role to play. I'm 40. I'm going to go now because God wants me to rescue my people. He's 40 years old. He goes to his... Uh, own people, the Israelites, he saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. He takes the oak out. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God sent him as the rescuer, th that it's his turn now to show them God's power. So he checks two of his boots. They're having a bit of a complaint. They're fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, why are you my brothers? Why are you fighting? Why are you trying to hurt each other? Put the baseball back down. Leave it. The one of them looks at Moses and says, China, who made you the ruler of us? Who, who, who do you think you actually are, Moses? He says, and by the way, I saw you yesterday. You killed the oak. You killed that Egyptian. Who do you think you are, Moses? And so Moses, in his, in his fear, in his emotions, he ducks. And he goes to live in a foreign land as a foreigner for 40 years. Amazing, eh? Verse 30. He's a foreigner now. After 40 years had passed. So now he's 80. Another 40 years have passed. An angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. We know this, but catch it. Yeah, when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight of the burning bush. He went to get a closer look at the burning bush. He hears God say, he says, Moses... I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Moses trembles with fear now, dared not to look. So Stephen's preaching about Moses. Why, guys? He's basically saying that Moses' life can be divided into three seasons. 40 years in the palace where he schemes, I'm the man, I'm a somebody, I've got power. And then Moses spends another 40 years in the desert where actually he realizes, freak, I'm a nobody. I'm actually nothing. And then he spends the last 40 years of his life realizing that God can take a nobody and use him for his glory. It's beautiful, eh? Who, who wants the burning bush experience? Of course we do, man. We want that encounter. We want it. Who's keen today to sign up for 40 years in the desert? Mm-mm. Who's keen to sign up for four months of being broken? Not keen for that, eh? Stephen reminds us what God says to Moses at the burning bush experience. Verse 33, he says, Moses, you've got to take off your sandals because you're standing here 
on holy ground. Why, why does Abraham, why does he mention, why does Stephen mention this? Because Moses is nowhere near the temple. He's nowhere near Jerusalem. He's 300 miles away from Jerusalem, right there where he has an encounter with God, where God comes to him. It's holy ground. Beautiful. You see, these religious oaks, they were saying, you've got to come to God. You've got to come to the temple to have an encounter with God. Stephen Chin's, no, but you're wrong. God will come to you in your crisis out there. And that's the grace of God. I want to say that again. The religious leaders are tuning. You make your way to God by going to the temple. Stephen tunes, no. God makes his way to you by going to your crisis. Beautiful, eh? Wherever you are, wherever you are, he will meet you there. Because he's a God of grace. He's a God of promise. Number three, he's a God of love. Verse 34, Stephen's preaching about God saying, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. You know what Stephen's doing? He's quoting Exodus 3, where God sees his people being enslaved in oppression in darkness in Egypt. And God says in Exodus 3, I've heard their cry. I've seen their misery. I am concerned and I have come down. Maybe that's something you need to hear this morning. God sees your misery. He is concerned. And he's heard your cry. And he has come down. I spoke to a man recently. Went through a really, really rough time in his life. He says to me, you know, you know what my life feels like? He says, my life feels like a, a tray of eggs. He says, it feels like my, my life is an absolute mess at the moment. He says, there's a lot of brokenness in my life. I brought this today. He says, my life feels like a broken tray of eggs that is absolutely destroyed. And it's in pieces. But he says, through that, I've realized that God has been with me. That God has never left me. And he says it feels like now what God is doing is he's taking this, this broken tray of eggs and he's taking out the shells and he's taking the eggs that are still whole and, and he's taking the yolk out of those and he says it feels like God is busy putting something together. He says it feels like God is busy making a beautiful, got it G? I thought, Wow. God never left that man. Maybe at times it, he felt like he did. But out of that mess, out of those broken eggs, the shells are getting taken out. And something beautiful is being made of his life. Maybe you feel like that man did. You feel like your, your life is like that tray of eggs. I want to read that scripture over your life today, sir. God has heard your cry. He's seen your misery. God is concerned. He is concerned. And he has come down. In fact, he sent Jesus, who already has come down. 
These religious oaks are moaning at Stephen because he's talking about Moses. Stephen's saying, hey, much respect for Moses. He was a legend. He, he was a champion. But he says, can I tell you religious oaks about a greater Moses? Can I tell you religious guys about the real Moses? He, his name is Jesus. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the one that rescues us out of darkness. He is the one that comes to us and rescues us out of that oppression, out of that addiction. He's the one that takes us out of bondage. He's the one who takes that, that mess and makes it like that. We can so easily read this story and think, ah, these religious oaks say, what a bunch of losers. But be careful, because we can so easily put ourselves in that situation. We can so easily find ourselves putting God in a box, limiting God, not allowing Him to do what He wants to do in our lives, making God be a God who suits us, make it comfortable for us. Remember we spoke about this life, God, it's all about me and how I live here on earth, and these constant flows of blessings upon my life, life that will make me feel better about myself. And then he ends his preaching in a very radical, outspoken way. He says this in verse 51. Here's my thing, China, I'm not mole. He tunes, you stiff-necked people. <laughs> yeah. You stiff-necked people. I know what tone, eh? Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. And they're thinking, oh, what are you on about? Exactly. Their hearts are still, they need to be circumcised. And they need to be circumcised. They need to understand that it's a spiritual circumcision set apart from the old. You prayed that Quentin this morning, my butt, in the prayer meeting. Changed, life, new. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. And then, boom, he hits him with this line here. You always resist the Holy Spirit. My goodness. How are we coming to church, Freedom Church? I'm in a box, I'm going to sing, I'm going to go home, I'm going to feel good about myself. I might turn my neck a bit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This verse stood out for me. It was five years last week. Another five years next year, how are we going to be doing church? How's our necks? Stretch your neck. Let's get serious. I don't want to joke about this, but, but stretch your neck just once or twice. And I spoke this morning about stretching your neck and looking to your spouse and that stranger extending grace. Just, just tilt your neck down. Just look at yourself. Keep your eyes open. God extended grace to you. When you didn't deserve it. You hadn't even said sorry yet. Are you able to extend that same grace to yourself? Just look at your feet. Where, where have your feet gone? Maybe your feet have gone some deep dark places where you're so embarrassed. Yes, I can't forgive myself. I can't extend grace to myself because of where I've been. Well, then you're not living in the full grace of God because you can't extend 
grace to yourself because of where you've been. Look at your hands. Tilt your neck down. Look at your hands. Oh, Daryl, my hands have done some really bad things. My, my hands have uh, been involved with stuff that I'm so ashamed of. Can you extend the same grace that God extends to you to yourself? C- can you sit there and say, thank you for your grace, God. Thank you that I, I, I can lo- leave here differently. I, I don't have to leave here holding on to the past of where my hands have been and where my feet have been. I'm looking down at my body. But because of your grace and your promises for me, and your love for me, I can look at myself differently. Just keep your head down. Because when, when your neck tells your head to look down, you bow. You, you're able to bow in humility, saying, God, I'm actually a nobody, eh? And that it's all about you. It's got nothing to do with me. Just because of your grace. I'm a nobody. I bow down in humility. I bow down in reverence. I put my head down. I lower my head in awe and respect of you, Jesus. And then let's, let's do what Stephen did. He ended his message. He looked up to heaven. T- tell your neck to put your head up. Let's look up to heaven. Let's, let's just close our eyes and keep our heads up. God of glory, you've saved us. Maybe today you're like, oh, Daryl, I have never asked Jesus to save me. That would be a privilege for us to pray with you up front here, for you to say, I'm looking up to heaven today, but I'm not yet saved. I need to be saved. We want to pray that prayer with you after this. But if you have prayed that prayer, you're looking up, you're not stiff-necked, because the Holy Spirit's done a work in your life. The Holy Spirit's busy doing a work in your life where you're not stiff-necked. You're looking up to heaven. And you're reminding yourself today of that eternal inheritance. Not a cushy life. Not a comfortable life. A real radical life for Jesus where one day we too will be with our heavenly Father, praising your name, standing next to Abraham, Looking, experiencing the city that is built with foundations by you, the builder and architect.